Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. A game 31 years in the making this weekend at Paul Brown Stadium. The Cincinnati Bengals are trying to reverse the curse, as the title of this episode says. And John Sheeran, for the first time in the existence of this podcast, we're covering a postseason game. How you doing, bud? Jim Mora is rolling over in his grave. (laughs) Not yet. Playoffs. Playoffs. Yeah, that's right, Jim. That's what we're talking about. They, They did win a game. They did win a single game, and now they're here. That's that's right. Uh, he's not he's not in the grave yet, right? I don't didn't, I, didn't kill him. That's a fine in some places. To, to yeah, I don't. There, I think he's. I think, yeah, I think he's still he's still around. First of all, a big week on this show, a big week on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, and a big week for for my co-host and uh, a show he was just on. We'll talk about that in just a second. But um, we've got a special guest. We will get to him in one second. We had the happening headlines. We have this show. We've got an interview with Believe in Podcasts, Dennis Ackerman, to help us preview the Raiders game. We have a Cincy Jungle Roundtable on Friday with John, myself, Ace, and Zim, which is part of the the host of the Orange is the New Black podcast. And uh, so a jammed week. And John, you just had a a big show with with our boys, Daddy and Hoji, correct? Oh, man. Talk about tri-podcast crossover with the Believe in Bengals and Believe in Raiders with Dennis Ackerman as well. But that interview that you're going to have with him is nothing like what we just did with him. We had Pac-Man Jones. We had Stanford Roud, who is Dennis's co-host with Believe in Raiders. A lot of great back-and-forth content previewing Saturday's game. Definitely check that out after you listen to this program. Well, that's awesome. And Pac-Man's always an entertaining listen for sure. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. I haven't I didn't catch the live uh, broadcast of that, but I will definitely check that out as I do with a lot of the episodes of DNH. And of course, you can subscribe to this YouTube channel down by that Cincy Jungle logo, but beneath John's side of the screen there, you can click the icon, the Orange and Black Insider icon to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And if you like what we're doing, uh, give us a thumbs up on, on the videos that we're throwing out to you. And of course, this show. Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim, Coach Speak and Chalk Talk, all part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. You can get them on your favorite audio streamers, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are there. Go subscribe. Leave us a review if you can. Well, I, I don't I don't really think I should be yammering anymore, John, because we have a very special guest. There are a lot of different people that we were thinking about bringing on to this show, and quite honestly, the first first guy that I thought of 
to bring on this show for a variety of reasons, not only because he's insanely entertaining, incredibly insightful, but he's a great dude, awesome Bengals fan, the architect of this great design of this lid right here. We've got Mr. Joe Goodberry joining us. Joe, from from New York, how you doing, bud? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, look at the moment we're in here. Uh, We've talked on some big occasions, but nothing like this before. We've talked on big occasions, usually, unfortunately, when the Bengals hold a high pick. And That's true. We, you are, you're a draft guy, and dude, you're probably not even really focusing that much on it or as much on it as you have in, in recent years, right? I mean, it's, this is pretty exciting stuff that we're, we're witnessing this year. Yeah, typically I do wait until the season concludes. While I will watch a lot of college football um, playoffs and and bowl games, that's usually when I start uh, because I'm I'm not really a big college football fan. I know Anthony, you really are, and you know with Cincinnati went pretty far for you, John, and had a great year, so you you had a lot of fun with that. But I usually don't care. I'm watching players. That's it. So when the Bengals season concludes, typically lately it's been you know after week 17, I jump right in, get ready for Senior Bowl stuff, and go from there. I'm not expecting to start that for a couple more weeks, maybe even a month. Let's hope for, and uh, that's fun. And just the, the the thought of not even wanting to touch on it because it's such a been such a fun year and such a um, really hopeful year. Something that you know the draft usually provides all the hope we have for the entire season, right? Or off season. This is like, man, the future is bright type of thing. Where I don't even care about the draft. Well, Joe, I, I I don't want to cut off John here, but uh, I, I guess real quick, just from where the Bengals were, start of free agency, after the chase pick and the entire draft class, and you know, into the start of the season, in, in case people didn't follow you on Twitter, or, or I don't know why the hell they wouldn't, but if if your predictions kind of got lost in the shuffle here for this team, you know, where where did you have this team? based on how their offseason played out uh, before the season began? Where, where kind of win-loss range did you have, and did you expect the team really in your heart of hearts to be where they are right now? I did. I ex- actually expect them to be exactly where they're at. I didn't know that meant division title, and I don't know if it matters. You know, they got to 10 games. I thought year two with Joe Burrow, year two with your franchise quarterback, looking at the data, I went through it and looked at the last 15 years or so, and I'm like, if you're not competing for at least a playoff spot, 500 or better, you probably did not draft a good quarterback. The best one that didn't reach that 500 mark was Baker Mayfield. And is he even good? And so, like, that's the standard. And I was like, go back to your evaluation. I know he's coming off injury. Go back to the evaluation of Burrow. How confident were you in it? I'm like, I thought he'd be a franchise guy. I thought he'd be a top 5 to 10 quarterback in this league. I thought he would do it very quickly. I've felt similarly about Jamar Chase. I thought he'd hit the ground running. And the only question we had was the year off, really. And he's been everything more than that. And T. Higgins and then Jonah Williams and every all the parts and pieces. And I, I sat back and I went, we only had 10 games and nine and a half games of Zach Taylor with a starting quarterback, Joe Burrow. The rest, the other year and a half was Andy Dalton, who's now a career backup, Ryan Finley and and Brandon Allen. I mean, how, how have we have really evaluated this coaching staff? So to me, that was a big question mark where other people were probably negative on that aspect. So for me, I was like, okay, Joe Burrow, year two, this offense could be explosive and great if they get to that point. And I think when you got a guy like Mixon and you bring back Frank Pollock, I was bullish. I didn't think the defense would be this good in the games they have been good. Uh, I didn't think they'd be this cohesive. I didn't think they'd stay this healthy because we never see that in Cincinnati. 
And I think that's how they became the division winners. And at this point now going into the playoffs where you're like, man, this team's gotten better each week. It's gotten better down the stretch. Joe Burrow in crunch time games has been better. He reminds me of that last year at LSU where the stakes just kept raising and his play just kept getting better and better and better. And I'm just like, God, I want to see this guy in those games more and more and more. And so now they're probably on the verge of surpassing those expectations, even though they were high. You could say that there's some big levels going on there here. Is. <laughs> yeah. I remember that thread that you had like in May when you said like the, the playoff window or the Super Bowl window starts now and you're pretty yeah. bullish on that. I just, it's like, it's weird projecting this team in, in terms of just predictions and whatnot because injuries happen so much because you were unsure about the coaching staff and how they could develop talent. How much like uh, of that projecting was accounting for potential injuries? Because that's something that always seems to happen and, and whatnot. Like 10 wins with, with everything going right and everyone staying healthy and guys develop. It, it didn't seem out of the, the range of impossible outcomes. But like how much of that were you taking into account of and how much has that surpassed your expectations? It's funny because the season is almost like four parts the way it ended up going. That beginning of the year where they're like, we want to run the ball. We're not really going to push Burrow. We're not going to expose Burrow, even though Burrow was still getting hit and was getting sacked. But you could tell there was, there was kind of some training wheels on. They didn't want to ruin him right away again, right? They didn't want to get him hurt. They didn't want him getting banged around. So that I didn't project for that. And so I think that cost them a little bit early in the season. Like they probably don't lose to Chicago if they're playing the way they were halfway to the, to the latter part of the year. So that was probably – Everything going right, had they been this team of the last month, they probably won 12 games. I mean, they probably be the number one seed in the AFC had Burrow been healthy and they had the full confidence and everything to go full speed ahead. So I think some of the injury to them was Burrow recovering and Burrow getting back to it. That was probably still their biggest injury of the season, why they had to start slow, why they had to start the way they did. And then it was things like T. Higgins going down, and then everyone knew Jamar Chase was good, so safeties are completely slanted over Chase. And they really didn't have that other weapon to beat them. And it's funny because anybody who is was against the chase thing was like, well, T. Higgins could be a number one. They were right. But the other part they were wrong about is you need three receivers. You need two receivers. You need speed on the other side. And then when Higgins came back and he started making those contested grabs, defenses were like, God, we can't cover both these guys. Let's go into a, a shell, a cover four shell or a cover two shell. And then it just started getting run down their throws by Joe Mixon in that that Raiders game and in, in, in the games right after it. And it's like, yeah, you know, you, you got it. Every time a defense tried to adjust, it took the Bengals a game, maybe a game and a half for them to master each way to beat these defenses. And then the last month was like, you start with like the 49ers game and they're in their shell, right? They're, they were definitely not trying to get their corners exposed. It took the Bengals to halftime to go, okay, you got to hit the whole shots. This is where the, the, these, these openings in the cover two are guys. And it, now you see they're just hitting whole shots constantly. They did it against the Ravens. They did it against the, the Broncos. They did it against the Chiefs. And it's like every time they needed to adjust, it took them some time, and then they mastered it, and then now it's indefensible again. And I, So that was the probably their biggest hurdles throughout the year was being young and being inconsistent and just showing up to the Jets and just not being as crisp as they, they could have been. Uh, that That's the defense's worst performance of the season, and they just never really adjusted to it. And then you get a late interception by Burrow. We talked about how clutch he's been. And, you know, that, that was one play there where he wasn't. So it, it's funny because it's hard to project a team staying healthy. But they I, they have been healthy, and they are healthy. But it, it's getting healthy at week 18 that's key, right? 
it's kind of like you need to figure it out through the season. And if you do it well enough, it's, it's I was just listening to or uh, reading the Marvin Lewis interview on The Athletic where he's like, you know, sometimes you show up to the playoff games and you don't have – you got Rex Burkett as your number one receiver. Remember that that, that Colts game? Oh, God. You, you, can, you can get to the to that finish line of the final regular season game healthy or, or, or somewhat, and then guys get hurt then, or Andy Dalton gets hurt three weeks to go, or even Carson Palmer gets hurt in the wild card game. So the, it, it's funny. It's, it's, it's the race to that finish line, and now the Bengals look the healthiest. They look like they've adjusted the most. And they look like if they can keep it that way, they're who knows? Who knows what could happen? But it, it feels good. Talking with Joe Goodbury, uh, <laughs> as evidenced by his nameplate down there. Uh Draft Sage, big Bengals fan, amazing Twitter follow. So go go check him out on Twitter if you're living under a rock and for some reason you don't follow him. Uh great draft takes, great bangle takes, and great NFL takes by Joe. Happy to be chatting with him and catching back up with him joe jamar chase not with withstanding here because i think that would be the easy answer who has been kind of some of your most pleasant surprises this year be it free agency be it draft be it just someone that's been on the roster a a season or two and really has ascended um look i know everybody I, i i wish i had this clip queued up but I I know everybody when Trey Hendrickson was brought in in free agency they were yelling about the contract they were yelling about Carl Lawson and I remember a specific state your case segment on this show where I said hey look the contract doesn't look great as it is right now there are some questions and whatever but let the guy play I think there's talent there Um, and he exceeded even my expectations on that front so I think that's one guy uh, obviously that can be put out there, but I mean, are there other guys? I know you had a little back and forth with Eli Apple. Um, is that one of the guys that I don't know who are some of the guys that you're going, Hey man, that, that they're kind of one of the major reasons we're here talking about this. You know, it's funny. I w- wasn't even thinking Eli Apple until you said that. And, but that's a fair point. I mean, he hasn't been beaten. He hasn't been targeted the way I thought offense would just say, all right, there's Eli Apple. We're going to go. I mean, cause Toby Woozy has been great. Mike Hilton, yeah. I think, for what he can and can do, he's been good in his role, and they seem to understand his role and keeping him in, in zone coverage most of the time. And if I'm a, an offense, you would look at it and you say, I'm going to attack Eli Apple, and yet they cannot. And they, when they do, hasn't been successful. So, yeah, that's a big part in why the defense has been a complete unit. I mean, they gave Trey Waynes all that money, and we barely seen him, but <laughs> it really doesn't matter because they're getting such great value out of Eli Apple getting basically uh, nothing on a contract. But – you know, I think for me, um, the way the season started for Logan Wilson, we didn't know what these linebackers would be at all. And then he kind of tailed off and then got hurt. And then Jermaine Pratt, I felt, was really good in that stretch when Wilson was was gone. And, uh, you know, the linebacker unit, I wish Akeem Davis Gaither was still out there. He, I thought he flashed until he got hurt. And then Marcus Bailey's had the step, and I thought Bailey's been really good. He's in coverage. He's got a knack for getting his hand near the ball or at least tipping it or, or making a play on it. His run fits are a little uh, hit or miss. But, I mean, right now you're just trying to keep things together with duct tape as best right. you can, and now the linebackers are getting healthy. So uh, I think the pleasant surprise, and here's another back and forth with a player that you guys don't know about, but it was in my DMs last year, and it, it's left guard Quentin Spain. And last year I was rough on him because he was rough. He, he had, I think, in my opinion, he, he looked his worst in his career last year. And I will say it if a guy is, doesn't look right, especially for me when I was a big fan of his coming out of West Virginia and he goes undrafted. I thought that guy's a clear third, fourth round pick and would be a starting guard in the NFL. 
He doesn't go draft. He doesn't get drafted. He eventually wins a starting job, and it's kind of back and forth with Tennessee. But he's good when he plays. Goes to Buffalo. I see him up close. He looks great that first year. Whatever happened that second year, he's cut. At, you know, a few weeks in, the Bengals get him. Jim Turner, whatever's going on there, it, it didn't work out. And he he messaged me and he goes, you know, you every time I, I you're saying my name, you're, you're being pretty negative about me. And I'm like, man, I still like showed him scouting reports I wrote like eight years ago. I'm like, dude, I've been a fan of yours for a while. You're not playing up to your up to par. I know you could be much better than this. And uh, so it ended up turning the conversation turned into, you know, more of a, oh, I didn't know you, you know, you were a, a fan of mine and you, you know, you've been sp- speaking the good word basically. And he's like, well, what do I need to pr- improve on and this and that? And I'm like, I'm not going there. I'm, yeah, you've got a coach for that type of stuff. But the way he's come back this year now, he's, been tremendous for them for left guard. I mean, in terms of getting almost nothing on the market, he had to take a, a minimum salary basically deal. And he's been a quality starting left guard for a team that the old line didn't get enough additions this year. If Jackson Carmen was their biggest addition, Riley Reef, uh, you can argue they don't have Reef now. They've had to uh, duct tape that side of the line. Jackson Carmen's been in and out of the lineup when he has played. I thought he's been better of late, but you know, it's still not what you want of a second round pick, I would say, as of now. Uh, Quentin Spain's been their biggest contributor and addition, plus the health of Jonah Williams. So I'm going to go with Quentin Spain, even though I gave you like six guys there. That's all right. Well, let's just say that Joe's not the only one who's been DM'd by Quentin Spain. And let's just <laughs> know, say that Quentin Spain is not done searching his name up to like four weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> Joe was a year retired when uh, the Civil War broke out between Sewell and Chase, but Joe was very nuanced in that debate because he saw both sides of it, and he didn't really take a side. He didn't really plant a flag in it until maybe the very end of that when we had him on. But now, but obviously Joe saw the vision with bringing Chase with these two receivers, and now everyone's kind of developed into their own towards the late part of the season. Very simple. Is this the best trio of wide receivers going into a playoff team in recent memory? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be because they're so dynamic. It's funny today I'm on Reddit and uh, one of the top things that came up were Joe Burrow's most top five, most improbable completions of the year. Right. So I'm like, oh, yeah, let's watch this one. And three of them were T Higgins just making crazy jump ball catches over two guys. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's good, man. Like in, I'm reading the comments of a lot of different fans, so, like Packers and Eagles fans that didn't take T Higgins. Right. They take Jalen Rager. They take uh, Jordan Love. And they're like, man, we could have we could use that guy. But then a lot of fans of teams that have good receiving cores that go, we don't have a T Higgins. And it's like, you're right. You know, a lot of these guys now are the Jamar Chase type and Chase is a freak, but I'm, I think like Chase and Stefan Diggs, you know, living in, in the Buffalo area, six foot guys that run good routes, create separation, win like that. Right. And, and can do some yards after the catch can win all three levels of the field. But when it really comes to just mossing people, that's a rare trait. And I think for a guy like Higgins to get that back and then, you know, so like he wins that, that, uh, that catch over the two Ravens defenders. Right. Yeah. Then we have some flags and some weird plays at the goal line, but then he gets a little jerk route at the goal line and he just breaks down. And we saw this in camp and everyone oohed and odd over how low he got in that route. Remember that? And then he does it again in this game and you're like, that's rare. That's wild. They, you know, they, for a guy that size to get down like that and break someone's ankles like that, that is just wow. And then Tyler Boyd, he, it's funny because we have sung his praises for years now as a slot receiver and just being one of the best at it. It's like he gets even less attention than ever. Of course he does. And he's just more open than ever and, and just can now stretch the field and make big plays. He had a couple long touchdowns in back to back weeks, which almost never happened for him. 
and Chase has been all world. So yeah, I'm with you. And and the comment on the um, it's funny because we can look back now at some of the other guys that we were at least discussing with that pick. And Sewell was really good. He he found his stride, man, and was really, really good for the second half of the year. And I think as a, as a total season, you're probably very happy with getting that guy in Detroit. Kyle Pitts, I mean, freak, man. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Uh, the guy we – it's funny. I, I think we talked when we were on a little bit before the Civil War thing. We talked about is, like, Sewell the clear number one guy. We talked about Rashawn Slater a little bit. Slater was excellent. Um, there was just – you couldn't probably miss all the receivers were really good too. So, I mean, I think that was part of the hard part of picking. It wasn't like the value, it, the, the, the conversation devolved, I think into tackle versus wide receiver. It was more about, we've got two freak young guys that could be top five in their position very quickly and should be by what they look like and what they put on film in college. And it just turned into, because they're such good prospects, both of them, left tackle or wide receiver, which I always thought was odd to even argue over. Joe, uh, you know, we're going to talk definitely about this Raiders game. Um, I guess there, there's a comment here. I don't know if this is from Tommy Tovar in our live live YouTube chat. I don't know if that's a relative of Steve Tovar, the, the, the former <laughs> Bengals uh, linebacker there, but uh, Cincinnati offensive line is going to get smashed this week. You were just talking about Penny Sewell. Um, I, you know, I, I think this could segue in just a minute into, you know, some of the things that we'll be looking for, some of the matchups, some of the issues and whatnot in this game against the Raiders, but your assessment of the offensive line, and I guess as a whole, not only this week, but potentially if they get past this week, their viability, because we know that the offensive line is one of, if not the weakest position group as a whole on this team. Their viability going forward, do they have enough to continue to kind of make a deep postseason push in your mind? Because they didn't go the Sewell route. They kind of went the free agency rental route and later round draft picks. Yeah, it's definitely the biggest knock on the team. I mean, it, it, anytime you look at any of these matchups and you're looking at the rest of the teams, you I, I start right away, like, how good is the other team's pass rush? And, you know, how good is this defensive line for the other team? And we've seen the Raiders. And we know, and we just saw the other night, Max Crosby completely, you know, dismantling Storm Norton out there. And that was just a, yeah, we want the Raiders to win, but, God, I don't want to see that thing. That that guy's scary. And he had a monster game against the Bengals earlier this year, and Reef was playing in that one. Uh, but I think one of the adjustments Bengals made since that, and maybe why did it take eight, nine weeks to do that, was I, I go back to, like, the Chargers game and, and then – uh, the Steelers game right after that, when they chipped like crazy and, and, and did it in like six different ways against Bosa and Watt and just neutralized those guys for most of the game. And the, Bosa was out early, but they, they did do it. And then they switched it to the other side and were helping with the other guy, uh, uh, Uchene. And anyways, the things they were doing there and the game plan they had there, I think is what we'll see again. You can't let Max Crosby take over that game specifically. I do not feel great about Isaiah Prince at right tackle. I'd feel much better about Fred Johnson. The, the problem there is Fred Johnson is a little, little bit more home runner strikeout than Prince is. Even though Prince gets beat, I think Fred Johnson provides a little more in the power running game. Uh, but it's kind of hard if you're going to chip because that you know, what what will happen is the tight end will, will make the defensive end pause, go around him, right? Now you have space between the tackle and the end, the rusher. And I don't think that's where I want Fred Johnson. 
uh, because he's a bit of a lunger. He likes to grasp. He wants his hands on guys. He wants to use his big body, his frame, and his weight. Uh, so that you may not want those type of guys with the chip help uh, because they don't want that gap between those pass rushers. I remember Willie Anderson talking about they didn't really ever liking chipping. He was great. He was, I mean, obviously may make the Hall of Fame, should make the Hall of Fame. But I think guys like that that are bigger, stronger, want to wrestle – don't like that space. So maybe Fred Johnson isn't the guy this week at right tackle. Maybe they stick with Prince. But I think I don't think Akeem Hedenergy has been really good at right guard. Um, Joe Mixon talked today about the communication, the leadership of Hedenergy, and I, and I think that pulls the curtain back a little bit to w- what we don't see Monday through Saturday. You know, uh, the the questions, the 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 when the when they're installing and and do you respond? Can you you know if the coaches want you to adjust? Can you adjust uh, through the week? How was your practice? How's the communication? That sounds like all the things that Denergy is doing right, but he is losing at a decent rate there at right guard. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's the trust factor of can you put Jackson Carmen in there if you don't know what you're going to get? Is that less valuable than knowing exactly what you're going to get, but it's not very good? Um, and we've talked about that with coaches a lot in, in previous years of you know deciding on when to play the young guy and how much will you let it affect your team. And I don't think they want – Carmen to blow up a play negatively. And I think the same about Fred Johnson, why those guys aren't playing. But having said all that, I'm okay now with the way Hopkins has bounced back. He's just, he's, he's okay at this point. And I think Quentin Spain uh, has tailed off a little bit the last few weeks, but I expect him to be okay. And John Williams has been fine. So uh, I think they can manage and I think they can get through it. You don't have to have studs on all five spots. You just need to give Joe Burrow 2.25 2.25 seconds to lay it up for Jason Higgins. Yep. What's interesting is that in that game, Adenogy was arguably their best offensive lineman. And I think that performance solidified his starting spot there and gave, gave the coaches a lot of confidence going forward. And obviously he has not lived up to that standard, but just going back to that game, there's been a lot of obviously conversations about looking at what both teams did and how the Raiders managed to limit the Bengals passing offense and Joe Burrow didn't really have a really good game. And then they basically ran Joe Mixon into the dirt for 30 times until he finally broke free at the end. Now you're looking at a Bengals run uh, run offense that hasn't really been effective in the past month and a Raiders run defense that I think is top five in success rate over the past month. How much can we just look at that week 11 game and think a lot of that's going to transfer over into this game? You know what I was worried about was Darius Phylon, to be honest with you. I remember watching him when I was scouting for Bleacher Report We're doing, and I was doing defensive tackles and defensive ends. This is like seven years ago or so. And I was like, man, this guy, this Darius Phylon, he's flashing a lot. If he ever figure, figures it out, and I think he was with the Chargers at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he ever figures it out, this guy's going to be a decent player. And then I really haven't paid attention to him. I remember he was out in that first game against the Bengals. And then the other night, he was fantastic, man. I was like, this guy's going to cause some problems. And he loads up the jump. Looks like he, he did something bad to his knee, and he doesn't sound like he's playing this week at all. Uh, I didn't see you know anything other than he's the coach. IR, I think. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Yeah, it, so they have some depth on the inside. Um, Denzel Perriman, when he went out the other, the other night, I'm thinking like, okay, that would be good. But then I, I believe he returned limited to practice. Uh, they still do have Solomon Thomas and Quinn and Jefferson in the middle. I, I that can provide some splash plays, but they they're weak inside. Like I think you can run on them. I think you can. Uh, I, I, Zach Taylor's phrase of, you know, breaking or hitting the dam until it breaks. I don't like that because I feel like you're taking points off the board. That game was a 16, 13 game with five minutes to go. And I just feel like they're more equipped now to handle that cover three defense. The Raiders are going to play cover three and they're not going to change. And they're not going to blitz. Burrow's really good against the blitz and they've really figured out how to beat even coverage 
over the last month or so. Uh, so this provides a, a little bit of a change. If they're not going to press, these guys are going to be off. So you're not going to get that easy throw like you were against the Chiefs to Jamar Chase. The X factor is um, T. Higgins. He wasn't there. He wasn't the, that's the player he was after he came back from injury is such a big difference to this offense. And I think that's probably the difference in this game if they were able to throw it because Burrow really couldn't. There was, there was an explosive passing game that week. And, in, you know, looking back at it, they didn't have um, – who's the corner? Casey Hayward. They didn't have Casey Hayward either for the Raiders, and that's a big addition for them. So I think, if anything, the I'm not looking forward to the running game being the central point of this offense, and I don't think it will be. Uh, talking to somebody who would know on this offense, his quote was, we're going to ride Joe Burrow's arm until it falls off. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I have a graphic to share with you here, kind of to that point a little bit, Joe, and that was kind of going to be my next my next point here. Um, this is Joe Mixon career versus the Raiders. You can see here he's got the three games. Uh, the, the Bengals are two and one in those games. Seventy two carries, three hundred thirty eight yards, two one hundred plus yard uh, games, four point seven yards per carry, five touchdowns, three catches, eighteen yards. You just kind of said that it seems as if. The game plan will be what it has been over the past month, essentially, which is let Joe Burrow be Joe Burrow and not go back to around Thanksgiving time when the Bengals did the ground and pound. And Mixon's been great this year, uh, arguably, I would say his best year so far this year. Um, So, you know, I I guess your thoughts on that is basically continue to put the ball in Burrow's hand. Let's let's do what's been working this past few weeks that have got the Bengals a win against the Ravens, got the Bengals a win against the Chiefs, and not look back at the history of Joe Mixon against the Raiders, particularly this year. And we've gotten a lot of Mixon out of the passing game, I feel like, more recently. you know. And if you can do that, I think you've got a great advantage there as well. I don't think the Raiders' safeties cover very well. I don't think our linebackers cover very well. I think this is an opportunity to get Mixon the ball, uh, but maybe it's in a different way. Maybe it's in the passing game a little bit more. I, you know, I, it's The funny thing is, 
the weather could be a factor. You know, I, I don't think it's supposed to rain or snow anymore. It's just going to be one of those cold 10 mile an hour winds. If I've been you know looking at it correctly. And if it's going to stay that way with a few days out, uh, you could come into this game and say, let's run it and run it down their throats. And do they want to tackle? Does a West coast team that plays in a dome that practices in great weather, do they want to tackle when it's cold? And if you're not from the, the North or anywhere where it gets a little bit cold, it hurts your bones a little bit to, to do that and tackle a guy that's 230 pounds and runs as hard as Mixon does. I do think there's an advantage there, and, and that could be could be there. If the, the Raiders don't want to tackle and if they don't want to defend the run, the Bengals will run it. I think they have that advantage, right? Not to speak too glowingly of this offense that just feels like it's found, it found its stride or it did in different moments of the season. It's pick your poison. And I do think if they do want to lean on Mixon and it's actually there, he he's going to run it and he can carry this team if need be. We've talked a lot about Crosby and there's been discussions about Hunter Renfro too, who's kind of heating up in that offense. Is there an aspect or a matchup of this game that you don't think is getting talked about enough, whether it be positive or negative for the Bengals? You know what it is? Uh, I don't know if it's talked about enough or not. Cause I kind of tuned out some of the talk this week. Cause I'm just kind of, my nerves are all over the place. Right. But I, the way Derek Carr, um, Last week, and he, he's done this all year, I feel like. They just chuck it down the field. And it, it could be nobody open. You're not getting pressure home. Uh, it could be designed. It, he's, they've lost games this way. They've won games this way, too. And they've gotten a lot of calls. The Bengals have been very good at not panicking when the ball's in the air. But I still feel like NFL DBs in today's modern age are going to panic a little bit. If you, do it, if, you, if you go to that well enough, you're probably going to hit a big play here or there. I don't think the Raiders hit any of them last time in that game against the Bengals. I don't re- recall one now that I'm thinking about it. it. That could change the game, obviously. You get one of those, you get a big pass interference play. Obviously, that could turn into three points, if not more. Uh, to me, that's what I'm looking at the, the things you can't control. The things that, because on paper, I think everybody's going to take the Bengals this week, right? You're going to look at this and you're going to say the way they're playing. Uh, you, John, stop it. You're looking around like you're not going to pick the Bengals. I didn't say anything. Okay, but the way they're playing, the the just talent versus talent, I think you have to take Cincinnati. And they're not even at a coaching disadvantage here. If you're still not on the turning your key on the Zach Taylor thing, the other side's got an interim head coach. The interim coaches have never made the playoffs before. Uh, so maybe he's really good. Maybe they should hire him. But point being is – that's not an, another di- disadvantage that they could have had, say they had, they have gotten the Patriots. So uh, as I look at this, I think it's going to be the unknown things. That's why I keep looking at the weather. That's why I keep looking at things like how many are the Raiders, one of the most penalized teams. Yeah. Are the Bengals one of the least Yeah, But what's a good, is, is a big pass interference play going to do that is a, is a, is a untimely turnover. Cause the Bengals have been so clean lately. We've kind of forgotten about those uh, shots in the foot, right. Where they would just go out there and the 49ers game. Isn't that long ago. Uh, where they just couldn't get out of their own way. The Chargers game the same way. Uh, I don't. I feel like it's past us, but it doesn't have to be. That doesn't mean it, 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 that's the truth. Talking with Joe Goodberry, formerly of the Locked On Bengals podcast, a great podcast out there, and a Twitter favorite, a Bengals fan favorite. We're we're temporarily borrowing his uh, Bengals skull, Bengals brain logo as our own we are adopting it as our own because i'm not creative enough or cool enough to create 
our own merch for our show and stuff. So we're 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 plagiarizing your stuff. This, I do this think the Cincy Jungle logo is awesome. It's a, I think it's got to be like nine, ten years old now at this point. It's old. I think, yeah, I do think it's pretty cool because you remember the old one of like the eyes over the stadium with the grass. Yeah, right? the city, the city yes, of Skyline, right? Yep. Yeah, gosh, that was that one was pretty cool too. I, I it was cool. That one. Yeah, you got gosh, you got you got a good memory there, Joe. Um, hey. You know, we've got this this super chat and a generous one at that for for socks. I mean, we're just talking about the Raiders, and we we can kind of kind of continue to chat about this. I mean, you're talking about hey, a lot of people are going to pick the Bengals this week just for a lot of different reasons. Talent talent disparity, at least uh, that's what it that's what it seems on paper. How the Bengals been playing over the past month? Look, the Raiders are four and zero in their last four games. A lot of them have been squeakers. I mean, you can look at the Browns game, and the Browns had, like, nobody in that game, obviously. That got pushed back a bunch because of COVID and whatnot. Um, you know, this one was all over the place this last Sunday night. But, I mean, the, the point is they beat a Browns team that was in playoff contention. They beat a Chargers team that was in playoff contention. A lot of people think that, hey, this is maybe going to be a little bit of a walk in the park for the Bengals because they're at home, the bad weather, all that kind of stuff. Two Socks's point uh, on our YouTube channel. Thank you very much for the super chat there, Socks. Just got here. Do you believe we handle the Raiders as I do? If so, why? You kind of talked about some points there. I don't know if you want to expand on that, though. I wanted to get to that comment. I, expand on your point, to be honest with you. I think the Bengals and the Raiders have both similar situations. Raiders had to win out. They had to in order to make this make the playoffs. And I thought they looked great in that Chargers game, man. That's probably the most complete they've looked all season. Yeah. Despite giving up a multiple fourth down and 18s, <laughs> it felt like, whatever was going on there. But uh, overall, they look like a team that could give you challenge and, and could, you know, put up 30 points in, in, in a nice dome uh, West Coast game. Maybe that's the part of it, right? The Bengals have had to win three of their final four, really. And they had one of them had to be against the Chiefs. Very similar path of we need to play playoff type atmosphere games. We can't drop more than one. Probably both teams are looking at that. They sweep run the table if we if they could. So high intensity games to get into it. And someone asked, how did I feel about the Bengals resting their guys in the week 18? I've they went three and oh in the games they had to win just before that. Yeah. Raiders went four and oh in theirs. You are exhausted after that. The Bengals needed that rest to reset, re-energize. Burrow took his beating, even though they handed out enough ass whoopings themselves. You know, Burrow was getting hit still. So I think the Raiders coming off that could go one of two ways. Either they're still riding their high, right, of, of really feeling it and really going to keep the pedal down. We've seen teams win the Super Bowl that way, getting in as a sixth seed and just continuing that fight for another month. Uh, but we've also seen what that does to teams and when the gas tank is really tapped out at that point, you know, at teams that aren't supposed to be there uh, really overachieving. And I, I feel like the Raiders have at this point, they played into 1 AM on the East coast uh, yeah. mon Monday. They got to go back. It, it, they got to go home, take a rest day. I'm assuming practice three days and then travel and then play in the cold. That's short a lot, week. man. They got a short end of the stick. They got the last game and then the first game of the playoffs, last yeah. game of the regular season first. That sucks. I mean, that is that's an emotional win for them and a grind of a win for them to go into handling what I think is PBS going to be extremely electric atmosphere and the Bengals are going to be ready and rested and focused. I just think they're the better teams should come out of this one, but it's the playoffs and anything can happen. We've seen it before. Uh, we lost TJ Yates and Matt Schaub, so. 
Um, <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> saving the most important question for me for last year. Uh, you mentioned the weather and you're constantly checking it. Just advice. I don't know if the lake effect for you makes it more predictable up in Buffalo, but there is no predicting Cincinnati or Ohio weather more than an hour in advance. So pack for everything when you make the trip down. But for any, anyone else making the trip to Cincinnati, since you are from the great white north, basically in Canada, do you have some tips for people watching the game in 20 degree weather? Yeah, I do. I work a lot outside and, and I've gotten used to it, but uh, over the years I've gotten used to it too. Layer up. Thermals are important if you can find them still. I, you know, a lot of stuff is missing right now. I went out to get my wife some gloves and there's no gloves anywhere at Walmart or Target. I'm like, this is, this is crazy. It's still January. It's still, we're still just about to hit the snow. But <laughs> um, the one underrated thing, and I think a lot of people brought it up on Twitter, was wearing the boots, wearing the, the thick socks, but how the concrete sucks the heat from your feet. And that's a real thing. You're not supposed to sit on concrete in the winter. You don't want to stand on concrete in the winter. It is just 10, 15 degrees colder than everything else. And it is just absorbing the heat. If you're out there in regular sneakers or, or even smaller shoes or thinner shoes, if you're especially uh, uh, your wives, if they're uh, accompanying you, man, you got to bundle up. You got to put extra protection there. People have said, bring a carpet, bring a rug, put cardboard down. Anything for extra layers between the concrete will be big. And for me, same in the summer. If I cool my legs off, I'm cool. If I heat my legs up with extra layers, I'm warm and then protect my neck. I like the, the legs somehow are like the biggest heat exchangers in your body. I don't know if it's all the blood running through them, uh, but keep them warm and you'll be warm. Yeah, I, I uh, snowboard a little bit and, so, you know, Southern California guy, I'm not great with cold, but uh, I'm, I'm with you. Layer up and uh, it, the neck, the leg, you know, you yeah. got to layer up. You got to layer up. Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to, we've, taking a lot of your time. I appreciate it, man. I know you've got a family and all kinds of stuff to get to. I, I hope we didn't take up too much time, but I'm going to ask you kind of a, a little multi-part question. It's going to be maybe a little lengthy for an answer, but for those who have followed you for a long time, maybe they don't know your past with the Bengals in terms of being a fan, following them. You obviously are in the Buffalo area. I know you root for the Bills as well, uh, but you're a big Bengals guy You've seen a lot. I think you're maybe around my age, a little younger. I'm, I'm late 30s. I won't say 35. Yeah. I just, okay. So you're mid 30s. I'm late yeah. 30s. So you okay. have seen and experienced a lot of things with this team, a lot of heartbreak, some good times as well. So if you could give us a refresher, if you don't mind, about how you became a, a Bengals fan and, and, and whatnot. And then, of course, I want to ask you, why do you believe that this team – is going to be different than any other team under Marvin Lewis that made the postseason. Uh, maybe even some of the ones under Sam Weish as well, where they can quote unquote, break the curse of Bo Jackson. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so Bengals fan living in Buffalo, uh, I was born in Tampa. My family moved back up here when I was about two. So I, I did, I do have a soft spot for the Bucks. have a soft spot for the bills, uh, but I am a Bengals fan completely. And, you know, I've had plenty of chances to not be if I were so cho chose to do that, but uh, can't pick who you love. But I used to watch NFL films so it, a lot when I was a kid. We had this tin with all the VHSs of like all the all the Super Bowls and had all the Super Bowl tickets in there and everything. And I remember watching them and getting to like the Bengals helmet in like 81 and going, oh, my God, look at this thing. Like this is different than all the other Super Bowl teams. They're all bland and, you know, Packers Chiefs just got your logo you see a tiger striped helmet and if you're eight years old, you're like, look at this, this is awesome. So the helmets really had an impact, but 
I will say there was a little type of rivalry in the 80s between the Bills and Bengals, especially towards the, eight, the, the, the late 80s there. Uh, the, the Bengals beat the Bills in the playoffs, the very young Bills team that eventually goes to four straight Super Bowls, right? In 88, or in the Bengals are running this no huddle, um, high tempo offense. The Bills are trying to slow them down. They're faking injuries and things like that. And I remember Marv Levy, well, my dad, as he tells the story, and I remember as a kid, my, my dad uh, saying, oh, yeah, the, the Bengals are doing this. They're cheating and yada, yada. And then the next year, the Bills come out with the K-gun, no huddle offense, and they're just they're scoring 30 a game, and they go to four straight Super Bowls. And so I thought the Bengals were some type of rival, you know, like division type thing. I didn't know how that stuff worked as a kid. So the helmets and just hearing my dad, the way he spoke about them, I always tried to pick opposite of my brother, my older brother. Uh, so that's how that started. I stuck with it. In terms of how I got to this point of going from a fan to still being a fan, but whatever this, you know, status may be, like John Sheeran and Anthony Cassenza, these guys. Influencer. Very fit. Is that? It might be what it is oh, at no. this point. <laughs> but but the point is, I started writing Cincy Jungle was where it was because you could write comments. You can leave stuff. Remember the fan posts on the side there? I'd write things out and just say, I think they should sign this guy because of this. I think they should draft this guy. Yada, yada, yada. I would put things on there. And eventually, uh, Josh Kirkendall and Jason Garrison were like, hey, you want to write? You want to like do some of these? We've promoted these to the front page. You want to do these on a consistent basis? And I was like, really? All right, yeah, let's do that. I mean, I I failed 10th grade English. And I was like, I got to college after one semester. I was like, yeah, not for me. That's not. So like for me to start writing at, at any level was uh, weird. But I grinded my way through it and figured the difference between there, there, and there eventually. And, uh, you know, it made it, turned it into a semi-career of mostly scouting, player evaluation, uh, film review type stuff. That's where my passion was, even though it got mixed around into a whole bunch of other avenues along the way. But, you know, I bounced around from website to website, place to place, and eventually said, all right, I've had my fun and time to spend time with the kids and family and just take a back seat and not do it professionally anymore. And that's where I am now. Oh, and to answer the question though, we got to, we got to talk about the game. You want to know. First of all, let me just say what what, what you've done with the evaluations in your career and podcasting and writing and evaluations, all of that hell of a job. But yes, I do want to get your take on why this team would be different different in your eyes to be able to get that three decade old playoff win. What, what makes it different this year? Yeah, the football gods, man, they are serious, aren't they? They take this, this that you hurt Bo Jackson and you will spend 30 years of punishment, but we'll give you the opportunity to redeem yourself versus the Raiders. I love it. It's poetic, isn't it? And, you know, how it comes around this way. So it's destiny. That's why they're going to win. But number two, because it's different from the Marvin Lewis and uh, Andy Dalton teams. Uh, you know, I always felt like the Carson Palmer teams probably had a chance, especially 05. Because he was that good. It's, it's, this team feels like the 05 team more than any of the 11 through 15 teams, right? Because those teams, that that second generation um, came out of nowhere unexpectedly because we, we thought they'd be bad. And then they, they just kind of kept overachieving and then underachieving. It was, it was quick how that 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 kind of flipped there. Uh, but the 05 team, we man, endless pops, possibilities at that point going into that game, uh, even while that ball's flying in the air to Chris Henry. So uh, we still you know had hopes of Super Bowls that year. I always thought 11 through 15 was interesting because they went into the playoffs very often with a bottom two or so quarterback. I mean, statistically, Andy Dalton, for all the credit. I mean, we like Andy Dalton for what he is and who he did and everything he did. He may be statistically the worst quarterback to ever play in the playoffs. 
And you can't win like that. And it's hard to win like that. And I don't expect Joe Burrow to be like that. Uh, and I don't, for whatever reason, reason, the Marvin Lewis teams in prime time, in big games, in the playoffs, found a way to crumble. And while the this Zach Taylor-led team, I don't know yet. The book isn't long enough yet. We don't have 16 years of, of data to look at and big games to look at and wonder what happened. Uh, so we just don't know. They could be. They could come out and then we'd be like, the Bengals are still cursed. But I don't feel like it. I feel like Joe Burrow has ra- risen the tide. And because of it, uh, the biggest influence on a franchise. The Colts, for the longest time, were nothing until Peyton Manning got there. Patriots were nothing until Tom Brady was who he was. Now, they had Belichick, but point still remains. Uh, the Chiefs didn't win a playoff game for 30 years until, you know, Patrick Mahomes got in there and they go to the Super Bowl year two with him at starting. And it's like, yeah, okay, they uh, that's how it happens. And I think that's the path we're hoping for. We're hoping for the Drew Brees Saints. We're hoping even for maybe a better outcome, but the Matt Ryan Falcons, just you're just trying to have that that franchise that doesn't do it get carried by a quarterback that's on fire. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get you on out of here. Number one, with one of our listeners eating crow and giving you credit, Ceiling Cat, uh, with the super chat. Thank you so much. I must admit, I didn't believe Joe when he said franchise QB in year two equals nine plus wins and playoffs. Burrow's health scared me into seven and ten, best case, and uh, you, you prove Ceiling Cat wrong there, Joe. And God, you you're this game. And you being here has brought literally hundreds of live viewers right now across all the different platforms where, which we're streaming. And we're grateful for you spending so much time with us. Uh, quickly, where can people get your hats, all the cool merch that you've created? So, um, you know, Bengals fans, obviously, I think a lot of people have your hats already and stuff. But in case they haven't gotten it yet, I know you've got kind of an online marketplace. And I think they're also in some stores in Cincy, if I'm They are, yeah. Rivertown Inquiry has uh, shirts and, and things like that. So if you've got Bengals on the brain as well. It's a, it's a nice indicator to, that you're ready for a higher form of Bengals talk and, and you know, football talk. So now that's why John wears his out there, to so let people know that he's a smart guy and knows a lot about the Bengals. <laughs> he's, he's winking <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, find me on Twitter at, at Joe Goodberry, where you'll get a, a lot of things other than football, too, if that's what you're interested in. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Well, you're you're an excellent football analyst and an even better dude, man. So uh, I, I appreciate it. It's It's been awesome. I, I hope we meet. I finally got to meet John in person week one. I hope I get to meet you in person I, this weekend would have been, would have been it. But uh, um, thanks next for year. Man. We'll, we'll get a game next year. Or, I mean, you got to, how can't you go to the, if they make it to the Super Bowl? Oh, I'm, I'm yeah, that's, right. that's a given. Yeah. I mean, right. I'll empty the bank account to get there. That's where I'm at right now. My wife's like, what are we going to do with that money in the savings? I'm like, I'm waiting for Joe Burrow to take yeah, this team like to the destiny. A, I'll set up a card table outside <laughs> until they kick me out to do interviews. I'm like, hey. So yeah, if you're looking for hats, they'll be right around the time of the money for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I've met John, though, once or twice, and we've actually bunked together. I've seen John naked. We showered at the Senior Bowl, that's, came out just, like, free. That's a that's lot weird, because Joe told me he wasn't looking, so that, that's interesting. <laughs> I forgot I said that. Huh. Uh, hey, uh, fun story yeah. about John and I, though. We So we go to the Senior Bowl the one year. I'm like, you want to get a room together and all that? We get the shitty hotel, right? I'm sorry if I keep swearing. Um, I don't know what the audience here is. but So it's crappy. We're like, oh, that sucked. So the next year. No, it was like, shitty. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So the next year, we're like, let's get a let's bunk up again. Let's get a different hotel this time. Like that one sucked. So we do like, look at this one. This is a new hotel. We'll pick this one. 
it's got a new name. I mean, it's a, it's a different hotel. So we show up. It's the same hotel oh, under, new, oh under new management. <laughs> That's from that moment I decided to never travel with Joseph Goodberry. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> or or you take the reins on the on the travel arrangements, right, right. John? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> hey, Joe, thanks for everything, man. Have a great time this weekend. Show show John a good time there too. Buy him buy him yeah. a drink or something. He owes me he owes me a drink, actually. Yeah. He agreed to I do. That's yeah. right. I do. All right. Well, I owe you, I owe both of you guys a drink when I see you next time because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to a game very soon and hang out with both of you. But good catching up with you, man. Have fun this weekend. Let's hope the Bengals break that curse for you. Let's do it. Travel All right, guys. See you Friday, Joe. All right. Take it easy. That's Joe Goodberry, one of the best dudes out there. Not only for Bengals coverage, not only for NFL coverage, not only for draft coverage, but just as a human being. He spent almost an entire hour with us, John, and uh, I know you and him have a have a good buddy buddy relationship too. He's 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 a great guy. Great guy, man. But the the athletic just got bought by the New York New York Times for five hundred and fifty million dollars, and they hired a guy to write for them who didn't graduate from college or didn't pass tenth grade English. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's I don't. He admitted quite a bit there. We we got a lot, uh, you know. We really, hosts, we really opened up. We really opened him up. I, think. I I guess. I mean, between your your hotel bunking situation and like you said, his high school English grades and whatnot. Oh boy, Big Head Steve here says I love you guys. Hey, we love you back, Steve. Appreciate it. We've had we've had hundreds of live viewers on uh and currently are still at hundreds of live viewers so um been a really big show not only because of joe and no no joke john i was like all right we got to get a guest here this week and i I just i didn't even ask anybody else there's only one to call there's only one to call i was like boom i'm I'm dming him and we're, we're getting his ass on here so uh thanks to joe for for coming on here another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're going to spend a couple more minutes talking about our it sounded like joe believes the Bengals are going to win this game here so we're going to talk a little more x's and o's between john and i with this game and then we're going to drop the mic and get out of here um i know we've covered this game a lot so far but you know we've got a, a couple more things to to talk about john one of the things and i'm going to get real fancy on you here and uh mm-hmm. share a, another graphic here um one of the things I, I want to talk about that we didn't talk about with Joe was was the recent performance, really, of Josh Jacobs. And if that is something worrisome for the the Cincinnati Bengals and their defense, you know, again, we talked about how the Bengals, should they, uh, you know, should they run the ball? Should they use Joe Mixon uh, more and, you know, not, not rely on the pass with the weather and all that kind of stuff and Mixon's past success? But it seems as if, Jacobs will be a guy that the the Raiders will be relying upon, especially this past month. Is I'll put up some stats here, but is that something that concerns you a little bit with uh, the Raiders and what they like to do there on uh, on offense? Yeah, uh, like we talked about with Joe, I think that's the the thing that we're not really talking about in this game. Like 
if the Raiders have game control, say like the Bengals offense kind of starts slow and the Raiders have the opportunity to give the ball to Jacobs to not really rely on Derek Carr, who's not used to playing in cold weather since week 15 in the last four weeks in this Raiders four game winning streak that they're on. They are a top five rushing team in terms of success rate and they're first in stopping the run in that sense. And the Bengals are actually from week 15 to 17. And I'm not, I'm not counting the Browns game because no, no players started for the Bengals on defense that game. They're 30th against the run in terms of success rate allowed. Josh Jacobs, I don't think really had the best game necessarily against the Bengals last time, but that has been an aspect of their offense that has improved. And you can look at their, their trio of interior linemen, John Simpson, and a couple other guys that don't know the names off the top of my head, but they've all been playing a lot better. Alex Leatherwood, the guy that a lot of Bengals fans wanted to draft yeah. in the second round. The, the Raiders took him in the first round. He was terrible at right guard and right tackle in the beginning of the season. They moved him to right guard full time, and he's played a little bit better, but that's relative to how he started. So that is an aspect of the Raiders game that I don't think people are giving them enough credit for in, in terms of just where they've gone to. And the fact that they've won four in a row, albeit they haven't been the cleanest games, and they've, I think, all been close, but that is something that's been improved. And we don't really talk about Josh Jacobs enough in terms of the best running backs in the league, but he's definitely talented enough on his own. And the graphic there, the Raiders are 4-0 in, in the last four games to get them into the postseason. The, the graphic there in case... You didn't see 84 carries, 376 yards, four and a half yards per carry, two rushing touchdowns, 13 catches, 66 yards from Josh Jacobs over the past four games. And again, the Raiders are four and oh there. So that was just something uh, I, I did a little research on that. And I'm going, you know, with with Carr, he he can make the, the occasional big play. He can make uh, especially early this season. He's making some big plays, but. I don't know, man. I, I just Jacobs uh, and and his, you know, he didn't have a good second year after the good rookie year, and and now he's kind of rebounding a bit this year, especially this last month. So that's something that the Bengals. I know we talked Darren Waller and all this, all all of that matchup, but th that's a guy I think that the Bengals need to keep an eye out for. But um, what do the Bengals need to do? I, I, Joe talked about it a little bit. What what if you're if you're Frank Pollock, if you are Zach Taylor. What do you do to help negate the Ngakwe and Crosby effect uh, with, with with this team here? I mean, is it just a, is it Drew Sample? Is it CJ Uzama? Is it blocking with the backs? Is it? I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat here. I guess uh, people look at ways that the Bengals have done to negate pressure off the edge. They've had CJ Uzama and either P Ryan or Mixon in the backfield. Uh, adjacent to burrow and pass protection to keep them in there for like just heavy max protection i don't think that's something that you should do against the raiders because not only are they a heavy cover three team what comes with that is they don't really blitz that much in fact i think they're one of the least blitzing teams in the league right now so you're not going to have a lot of exotic blitz looks and pressure packages like the steelers or the ravens deploy and that's usually where you need probably seven guys some protection on some of those obvious passing downs in this in this game I think you're looking at Uzama and Drew Sample lining up next to Crosby or maybe even Yannick Ngakwe on some plays and just a little chip release. I think they want to, like Joe said, I think they're going to want to try to pass the ball early in this game because Joe Burrow has the hot hand. And I think taking away in a receiving option by keeping him in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage to pass protect, it limits those opportunities. So if you can have a chip release with Uzama, or Drew Sample in, in that sense to basically slow down Crosby before he gets going up against Isaiah Prince. I think that's your best option. You even look at that pass Raiders game. 
the first drive that the Bengals had, Joe Burrow gets strip sacked by, by I think, Ngakwe, but Max Crosby beat Riley Reef at the time, too. Ngakwe was chipped by, I think it was Samaji P. Ryan, and the chip basically put Yannick towards the inside of Jonah Williams, and Yannick ended up beating Jonah because of that chip. So chips are great in theory and in practice, but if you kind of overdo it and you kind of screw up the the, the tackle and this pass it. And that's also something that Joe was talking about, which, which is why Willie Anderson never really liked it. You can mess that up even with good intention. So I think their best chance is to basically put that tight end at one end of the line of scrimmage or the other and help out some of those guys in pass protection. Because the worst thing that you could possibly do is what the Chargers did with Max Crosby and just leave a terrible storm of Nor- Norton alone on the island for 30 times a game and watch him get bull rushed 15 of them. I think Isaiah Prince is going to do a better job in those situations compared to Storm Norton. But it's definitely the biggest advantage that the Raiders have, and they're going to try to uh, make the most of it. Um, I see Michael Jordan saying uh, T Higgins missing Sunday would be, a, would be so Bengals like curse. Well, I mean, I think what's being referred to there is T Higgins emerging on the injury report on Wednesday with a foot issue. He was practicing and actually there's a clip from Mike Petrali out there of him making a nice play in practice. I don't know if that was something that occurred in practice or, or what have you, but obviously something to monitor. That would be a huge loss for the Bengals. If T Higgins can't go, I'm, I I don't want to, we know what, we know the rule about assuming, um, (laughs) but I, I think this seems uh, since he's practiced, I think all day on Wednesday. um, I don't, I don't know that this is a big issue unless something kind of crazy occurred at practice. So one of two things could have happened here. Either A, T. Higgins enters practice and um, with a foot ailment and can only do so much in practice and it's basically nothing if he, if he was good enough to practice. Or B, suffers the injury during practice and therefore can't uh, practice the entire time or can't go through all of the drills. In most cases, it's usually B, and this is what happened with the Bengals and Deontay Smith. He ended up on the practice report, I believe, before week six with a knee injury and was limited. And then he ends up going on injured reserve because of a a meniscus tear or whatever. I'm obviously not projecting that's the same thing with T. Higgins with his foot injury, but that is a possibility. It's basically a 50-50. Like, this is either minor and it's nothing. I believe we have someone in the comment section saying that very reliable Zim Hude basically said that it's nothing. And he's very connected in terms of you know, getting information out of this. He was right with Logan Wilson's shoulder injury. He was right with with Quinn Spain's sprained ankle. Looks like he's saying that T. Higgins' foot is going to be fine, but that's probably what it was. He kind of injured it towards the later half of practice when the media wasn't watching the, the closed portion of practice, and it's just something to monitor going into the weekend. So final impressions of this game, John, your expectations for it, prediction, et cetera. I know we kind of have a running joke about when you pick a certain way, the Cincinnati Bengals end up bringing a certain result. Um, I don't know if that's playing into anything or not, but uh, your expectations and score prediction as we start to wrap up here. You know what? You know what has to be done. You know that, right? You, you know what? You know what has to be done. I, I I don't. Every single time, man, it's it's the Packers. It was the Chargers. It was the 49ers. It was games where I thought the Bengals. We're going to win. They had good opportunities and they didn't do it. And against the Steelers in week 12, against the Ravens in week 16, against the Chiefs in week 17, I, I, I wanted the, the Bengals to prove me wrong and they did. Now you have 31 years of futility in these situations. You have a Raiders team that nobody in their right mind is picking 
everyone is counting against them. Somebody's got to do it. 23 to 21 Raiders. Oof. Oof. Uh, look, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, I know this sounds probably cheese ball and, and cliche and whatnot, but you got to kind of do, you have to make sure that you do the things that got you in this position to win a division and host a playoff game. And I know that's cliche, but what, what I'm talking about is Evan McPherson needs to continue to be a, a solid on special teams and make big kicks. Joe Burrow's got to continue to make big plays as do his wide receivers. Mixon's got to be a factor. You got to account for those edge rushers, et cetera. But I mean, it really kind of the little things, including you had, you were the least penalized team in the NFL that needs to continue not only this week, but through the postseason, if you have a chance to continue on and why I say that. And, you know, I know it's like, well, Anthony, of course, that's what they need to do. The problem is at least in the last seven times they've made the postseason. That hasn't been the case. They've been undisciplined. They've been uncharacteristic in their play as compared to most of the regular season that we have seen. And those teams have shrunk in the postseason. This team won a big game against Kansas City. This team won four big games against their division opponents this this year. This team beat the Steelers with Ryan Finley on primetime television last year. I'm tending to think that this team shows up a bit more on primetime than the Marvin Lewis teams did. And I will go with the Bengals winning. I do think it's going to be a little bit of a tight one. The Raiders seem to make things interesting, especially this year. I don't think that this is a walk in the park by any stretch. I will say 27-21 Bengals finally get off the schneid from my lips to the big man upstairs ears, huh? Uh, let's let's hope that, that that's the case, but that's what I've got, John. Really pushing that spread, I believe. I don't know if it's moved off of, of minus six for the Bengals, but that's a push. And our predictions are brought to you by Symbol. And you guys aren't going to hear us talk about Symbol for a little bit. We're taking a little bit of break there. But before the playoffs begin, Symbol has something new going on. It is their Symbol 13 playoff challenge, and they are challenging you to pick every game of the NFL playoffs and, who, and whoever gets every game right is going to get one free share of every team on the site, which is valued at over $7,000. Yes, $7,000 for picking all 13 playoff game winners correct. Even better, for every winner you pick correctly, you'll still get to spin the reward, reward wheel to get a fractional share of some of your favorite teams. Go to symbol.app backslash OBI to deposit and get still get your $500 money back guarantee, but also enter the 13 playoff challenge link in the description. Go start your playoff grind today. It's been a great partnership with symbol. We're, we're going to continue, uh, excuse me, continue that on uh, through 2022 as well. So I'm pretty stoked on that and thank you. And to them for partnering with us. And of course, uh, if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan and a fan of this show, a listener of this show, you got to go check out simple. Let's drop the mic and get out of here, John. What do you what do you got for us on our way out? Yeah, I, I love that you asked uh, Goodberry about like his origins to the team and whatnot in this whole story because that was kind of kind of be my my mic drop and I was debating if I should like, rehearse this or whatnot, but I'm just kind of going off the fly. You know, a lot of people view me as this pragmatic pessimist or whatnot, or just some guy who just tries to remain objective even when when hopes are kind of high and stuff like that. It definitely didn't used to be that way. For people who know me personally, 
Like in 2003, I just like Joe, I was infatuated with the aesthetic of the Bengals. Like the stripes really pulled me in. And you're talking to a guy whose mom was a huge diehard Steelers fan and still is a diehard Steelers fan. So that kind of broke her heart for me to align with my hometown team and my friends there. But it, it was my decision, and I've never really regret, regretted it because I see where I've come from from then. But growing up, like my nickname was Bengal John. Like in in 20 2006, I was 10 years old, and some guy asked me what are the Bengals going to do this year? And I said, they're going to go 19 to no. And he said, John, there's only 16 games in the regular season. I said, yeah, but they're going to win all 16 of them, get the bye, and then win the three playoff games to go to the Super Bowl. And from then on, like I've, I've always been a diehard fan of the team. And then I went to college in 2015 and they started eight and no, and my fan was never really higher. And then they really broke me emotionally, mentally with, with that playoff loss the last time that they were in the playoffs. And from that point on, like I was in college and I was, you know, entering a new chapter of my life. And I decided I can't do this anymore. I can't be this diehard guy that, you know, his whole emotional state and well-being is derived and is directed by the direction of an organization that doesn't even know that I exist. Six years later, the Bengals do know I exist. There are people in the organization that have talked to me and I've I've grown connections. And ever since then, I've started writing for Cincy Jungle. I've been on a show with cartoon character caricatures and puppets. And from that grew a, a, an opportunity to write for Cincy Jungle, just like Joe did. And then two years later, it, it got into a promotion to be assistant editor. Now, basically helping run the site with Jason Markham. And, and we continue to do great work. And I think that change after that playoff loss really helped me grow and evolve into into uh, th- this type of, of analyst and this type of, of content creator. And I wouldn't have been able, been able to do that if I didn't make that adjustment. So now that they're back in the playoffs, and I haven't been alive for this entire drought, but I know that there are people who have been and who have been waiting for this moment to feel like this, like this confidence into going into a situation like this. I know that it's been a long time in the making. And for all of those people who are still like the kid version of me who have never really let go of that attachment of being a diehard fan and being someone that's completely loyal. And I don't judge those people at all. Like that's their prerogative. That's what they want to do and they should support their team the way that they want to. But for all those people who are still there and are going to watch this weekend, I really do hope that it works out better for you guys than it did for me in 2015. And I really hope that the result is different this time. Well said. And uh, you know, uh, your contributions on this show uh, have really been a, a big boost to what we do on this show and everything. And I mean that genuinely. Um, that that being said, I'll kind of continue a little bit of a, a sentiment. You know, Joe kind of talked about his history. You've talked about your fan history. Some people know about mine being a Southern California guy. Never, not born and raised in Cincinnati. The only times I've been to Cincinnati are literally for Bengal games. Um, but you know, little kid, my older brother got into him in 81. Uh, you know, I, I, there was always a running joke in my family that I was named after Anthony Munoz. Um, not true. Anthony is a family name, but uh, that, that was kind of the deal. Right. And in Southern California, my brother and I, particularly in the 1990s, when this team was awful, we felt like we were on this weird island that nobody that no, we knew nobody. And we were laughed at and we had all this bangle stuff. And it was so in, in the 90s and 2000s and all that stuff. It was so hard for us not only to get Bengals gear because you couldn't just go to a store and get it because they were pretty awful. And Southern California didn't care, carry Bengal stuff. They carried Ram stuff. They carried Steeler stuff. You know, all this, all the good teams at the time or local teams, they didn't carry Bengal stuff. 
Um, but we managed to grab all, everything we could. We we got the early, early editions of the Sunday ticket package. And when we didn't buy them ourselves, we used to go to like little pizza joints and stuff to catch the Bengals games and all that kind of stuff. And John, yesterday, you and Zim Hude and Ace hosted this, uh, and I think Yaz as well, hosted mm-hmm. this, what is it, a space on Twitter? I, I'm so dumb. I don't even, I, I think that's what yeah, it's that's called. Correct. And it's, yeah. it's kind of a, like a group chat, a group think type of thing. And people kind of go back and forth. I sat in there for about 20, 30 minutes and, uh, you know, I, I, I listened to you and others and obviously you guys are espousing all kinds of great ideas and cool, cool things about the Bengals and your feelings about the game and all this kind of stuff. And um, later I, I had to do something for a little bit. I came back. You guys were still chatting, which was awesome. And I, I got the opportunity just to kind of talk. And what, what I didn't really say is what what's kind of cool is that island that my brother and I felt like we are on doing a show like this, doing connecting with people. And now go, like when I went out there week one and meeting a ton of people and, and people mentioning about, you know, what we do and all kinds of stuff. And um, it, it doesn't feel like an island anymore. And it especially does not feel like an island anymore because the team is good again. They're fun to watch and they are they're, they're Nobody really wants to play them right now. And I'm walking around in bangle shirts around around here and I've got neighbors. I've got people at the gym. I've got all kinds of different people coming up to me and saying, well, who they got this week? Oh, that's right. The Raiders. Oh, I think they're going to, you know, beat the Raiders. And, <laughs> and you know, uh, and of course, the talks burrow and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, for so long, it was it, like you were bangle John, right? Uh, I was bangle Anthony. I was the bangle out here because nobody liked the Cincinnati Bengals. Why the hell do you like the Bengals if you're not from Cincinnati, uh, my brother? And so we were just kind of these two goofy guys that like the Bengals out here. And it's turned into this deal, writing for Cincy Jungle, podcasting on some different shows. Uh, you know, I saw Nick Suberling in here. Shout out to him for for Inside the Jungle, a great podcast. One of the, one of the first ones out there. And, uh, you know, he he got me into the podcasting bug. And, and now you and I are doing this show and have a hell of a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, win, lose, or draw this weekend. God, please not draw. Um, that's not, that's I, impossible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, I want him to win like hell. I want him to break this curse. I want to have a different narrative and, and, you know, keep the good vibes rolling from this really special season. But uh, it's been really cool just connecting with a lot of people. And I really mean that, including yourself, including other content creators and fans and all that kind of stuff. Um it's just been really cool and it kind of it takes this thing to a different level like you said it's not so much the fanaticism level which i mean there's a little bit of that but it's more just like hey there are there are so many people that are are like me (laughs) that follow this team that that care about this team and all all that kind of stuff and it uh that island has really really i guess grown into this thing and that's kind of what i want to say about it It, i just been thinking about that the past couple of days particularly after we did that space chat on twitter it's funny because like uh, Raider, Ravens and and Chiefs fans have both kind of aligned to say that the last two weeks for the Bengals fans has been like, oh, this is their Super Bowl. They haven't seen a Super Bowl celebration until they win a playoff game. And if they do, I predict at least t- 10 people are skinny dipping in the Ohio River, which don't do that. That's not my consent <laughs> to go ahead and do that. But it, yeah, like just the fact that we're talking about this and they, they haven't even played in the playoff game like like. There are some teams that it's like making the playoffs and winning a playoff game. It's just like it's the expectation, you know, it's it's just the first step. And for the players, I think that is the mindset. Like, I don't think Joe Burrow 
Jonah Williams and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and guys who've experienced a level of success before coming to the Bengals, I don't think they're thinking about this as like this emotional, meaningful type of game that I think a lot of fans do. But we, if they do pull this out, we will see a, a level of celebration that I don't think we've ever seen from, from, from Bengals fans in the, at least the last 40 years. And it'll just be another step in the journey of this team. And hopefully they can take a few steps more in the weeks to come. Yeah, get the statues commissioned, right, for the front of Paul Paul Brown Stadium. You know, to your point, and, and I know we're, we're going a little long again, but to your point, we talked about this a little bit on, I, I don't know, a show a long time ago. But when you look at a lot of the Bengals' high picks, Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jonah Williams, I mean, Jamar Chase. I mean, you look at a lot of the high picks of, of late. These are guys that are coming from national championship teams. These are guys that are used to winning big time programs, big time games over and over and over. And that's a thing. I know the Bengals like to draft from the big schools, the SEC schools. Traditionally, they did so under Marvin Lewis. That's a Duke Tobin thing as well. But these are guys that have won big games, played in a ton of big games in their college careers. That is another reason why I think that this team has a better chance than many others uh, of late that have made the postseason to, to turn this thing around and, and break this curse. Yeah. And, you just look at who they're playing and and we, we can say all we want about, you know, curses and just the team never really been in the situation. But J- Joe said it, Nick, Nick Superlin saying it, Derek Carr has never played in a game this large in, in his career. Like th- th- this is a game that the Bengals should win. And if, if everything goes according to plan and if they continue the streak that they're on and I don't see why they wouldn't, even despite the weather and stuff like like that, that, that should honestly be the expectation. Yeah. Well, have fun this Sunday, man. Stay warm. Let's hope. Uh, let's hope. Maybe get a little fireballing. I don't know if you're into fireball or whatever, but that that's always when I snow. I'm not into fireball, but if they win on Saturday, I might I might take a shot or two. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We'll have a good time. Say hi to Joe for me. Say hi to all the folks out there for me, and uh, let's hope the Bengals pull one out for you, my friend. It's it's long, long, long overdue. Take it easy, John. See you, Anthony. 